attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, John Elson. John Elson and I had a fantastic talk. I went and met him at his home in Phoenix, Arizona. We chatted about camp. He was very excited to talk about camp. He clearly had a great time there. And even coming back later and doing the uh, Old Timers Collegiate Week, which you will hear about. Before we get to that, a couple notes. The 90th Summer Celebration, May 6th, 2017. I think I can leak it. If I can't officially announce it, I think I can leak. We're looking at the North Shore. We're looking in Wheeling. Maybe I shouldn't say any more than that. Maybe I should only say that we are looking at a place big enough to hold 1,500 people in the North Shore in Wheeling. And uh, so mark that on your calendars. Get ready to come out for that 90th celebration. It's going to be pretty great. We're going to have a little website going up for that very soon for people who might be interested in in helping us uh, get the party off the ground, possibly doing some sponsorships. So keep that in mind. That website will be going live in the very, very near future, and you'll hear about it first right here on the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast. Camp is in full swing. The weather has been amazing prior to last night when we lost power for six hours. Other than that, the first week of camp was absolutely incredible. Could not have asked for better weather. The kids got here. Everyone's safe and sound. Are having an amazing time. Could be the best summer yet. But let's get to it. Here we go. John Elson on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. Okay, my name is John Elson, and I was at camp from 1966 to 1971. Nice. Uh, how'd you first hear about camp? My brother went to camp there. His name's Bob Elson. Probably a lot of people uh, listening to this would remember Bob. He started in 64, I believe, and he was also a counselor the last year that I was at camp. So he was a counselor in cabin one in 1971. Nice. So when you decide it's time for you to go to camp, do you get a camp call? Do they come over and show you the, the slides or the movie or something? Um, or maybe not. Because... They did that with him. I, They probably did it with me, but I think by then it was a foregone conclusion that I was going to camp with Jibwa. <laughs> In those days, was there really an alternative? What were the oh, there were a lot of uh, – there, um, there was uh, Camp Horseshoe. There was uh, – Camp Shy, there was uh, Nabagamon, there was 
whatever the one is down the street from us, not Maramita, but... Uh, that is I mean, camp that's closest to us. Yeah. It would probably be... Uh, Menominee. Yeah. Menominee. Uh, yeah, there were, you know, a, a fair number of camps, yeah. but, you know, my brother really enjoyed Camp Ojibwa, so that was pretty much it. <laughs> and in those days, I mean, we, we still stood up ahead above the class, I think. I, I mean, I don't oh. think that's just us saying that, like, Ojibwa was always, the premier camp. Always. Always. I was a very competitive guy. Uh, I, I would say that uh, I was probably not a great athlete, but a very good athlete. Mm. And so... Uh, and in a time when great athletes at Camp Worse... There were a lot of really great athletes. Yeah. The great great athletes, uh, Barry Feldman, who I'm friends with, uh, Howie Cousin, um, Bob Schulman, those guys were all great athletes. They're, they're, uh, uh, Jimmy Rubens... Mm. Uh, there were a lot of great athletes. At, uh, uh, I would say probably the one of the best athletes that I ever knew was uh, Mike Lewis, mm. who I won collegiate week twice, and Mike Lewis was I think our top pick in '68 when we won, and um, I think a lot of people would say it didn't matter who was on the team. As long as Mike Lewis was the first uh, was the first pick, Steve Lewis, who is his brother, uh, gave me the nickname Milo because uh, my brother's name is Bob Elson, and there was a commentator for the White Sox, Bob Elson, and his sidekick was Milo Hamilton. So when 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 he met me, he said, "Your nickname's Milo." So it, it didn't, you know, it it, it uh, so here it is. Army wins. Collegiate week in 1968 with 315 points, beating Yale, which only had 230. Wow. So we won by 85 points. The winning Army team was as follows. Elliot Friedman, who not only was he the coach of the team, but uh, in 70 and 71, I believe he was my counselor in Cabin 13 mm -hmm. both years. So, of course, I was very close with Elliot. Yeah, Bob Knockman, who was the assistant coach. Then okay. Mike Lewis, Rob Patter, Roger Glick, Larry Robbins, Mike Millman, John Elson, Wayne Wasserman, Larry Ledove, David Schwartz, Mike, Vic Mike Victor, Craig Boyer, Dave Greenspawn, Steve Field, Kirby Caden, Jack Weinberg, Herbert Berg, Mickey Sampson, Les Robinson, Bob Abrams. <laughs> And Quite so, so yeah, so we had a we had a fabulous team, but I mean, Mike Lewis was just a phenomenal athlete, yeah. and you can see that was a dominant, That's dominant, win. huge, huge win. So, uh, and then we won, and then I won with another team in uh, 1970. Uh, that was with Bob Schulman as the as the first coach, who is uh, who is a friend of mine, and Bob Schulman. And uh, uh, in, in uh, let's see, in 1995, Denny contacted a bunch of people, or we found out about it, and we had the first old-timers collegiate week. Nice. So here's, here's the hat from it. That's awesome. And uh, old-timers collegiate week. Um, so that's, at that point in time, Denny decided it was going to be guys who were in their 20s, guys who were in their 30s, guys who were in their 40s, guys who were in their 50s. Well, I was on the team of guys that were just 
like late 30s and mm. early 40s. Well, a lot of those guys were still in decent shape, and we <laughs> and we had uh, we had Jimmy Rubens, Bob Schulman, me, Howie Cousin. So we won uh, that collegiate week, nice. and I can remember my wife Ellen on Friday night. I called her. This is before cell phone. You know, right. I didn't have a cell phone. So I called her. She said, so how's it going? I said, well, that would depend on your perspective. I'm bleeding from the arm. I have, I, I've, already, I've already skinned my knee. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we got to play driveway hockey, which, which I had been playing for years after, sort of during camp when I was maybe 15, 16 with my friends. But then they built the the the, the driveway hockey. Uh, oh, right. uh, uh, brand new then. Yeah. What didn't exist when I was at camp. Yeah. So so that was part of the woods because that was near the tennis court, and that was between the tennis court and the far field, and that was literally the woods. Yeah. So I got there. I thought, man, they've got a whole rink, so to speak, to play. Dri-. And and man, we just we killed each other. <laughs> I think it was Billy Schwartz was there, maybe Barry Schwartz. I think maybe both of them were there at that old timers reunion, and um, I trained for six months nice. as as a in, totally intense human being, <laughs> and I'm out I'm I'm out run, running wind sprints, you know, and all the stuff. People are like, "What are you doing?" Oh, I'm going ready to go back to my camp, and they go, "What camp are you talking about?" I go, "Camp Wajibwa." They go, "You're going to camp this summer?" I go, "No, I'm going to camp for a collegiate week for old timers collegiate week." I said, "And I'm not messing around." <laughs> so 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 here's the story so so here's a story you want a story here's a story so so the night before the 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 um obstacle course which was always my my thing in fact i just did an obstacle course called the spartan sprint which is part of the reebok challenge that's why i'm all beat up that's why you can see all my my injuries that was 20 obstacles in the middle of the desert and so I did it with my with my sons that are in their twenties. Nice. Big mistake on my part. I made it through. <laughs> I made it through. But you have to know when you're old. And so so now I'm sixty. So I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. But the day before this, uh, the night before. So these guys go to uh, Weasels. Oh sure. Okay. So they go to Weasels and they're like, John, you want to go to Weasels? They go, no. I'm happily married. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to that place. I go, I am getting ready for tomorrow. Man, nothing has changed. <laughs> nothing has changed. It's been 20, 25 years. And this, this guy is still over the top. I said, guys, I'm visualizing our victory. I go, I'm, I'm staying here. I got the headset on. So, you know, the guys go there. Well, in the morning, these guys are comatose. Sure. You know, I, I wake up and it's probably five o'clock, 5.30. There's steam rising off of Catfish Lake. I go down to, to train to get ready for the one-man kayak. And there's all we can see is steam coming up from the lake. I get my boat out there. I'm practicing my kayak. And uh, about an hour, two hours later, whenever it was, we probably started at 8 o'clock, okay? Some dude from another team goes, he looks at me and goes, wait a second. He goes, was that you I saw through the mist this morning? <laughs> he goes, oh my God. He, I go, yes, I'm ready. He goes, well, could you show me how? To, I go, yeah, of course. So, <laughs> so there's a story for you about, and Denny puts on the Rocky theme, oh, sure, you know, and we're all down there, you know, 
kicking butt down at the so that that was a great great experience and uh you know that was 20 20 years ago so it was a it was incredibly fun and it was incredibly fun to see like dizzy nitzkin who's now passed away he was there and uh i think bernie kerman came up for that and so there was a bunch of guys that were up there just kind of either umps or supervisor you know kind of being up there but but it was uh it was uh, that was an absolute blast. If 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 I could still do that physically, could still do that, I would because it was so much fun. Yeah. Box hockey and you know basketball and all the other stuff. We we got to play football. We played multiple games of football. Nice. Of course, sixteen inch, and um, you know I mean it was just it was it was unbelievable. So. Nice. Um, and you did that before camp. We did right? that, yeah. We did camp. that before camp. Yeah, early I think it was in early June. Yeah. I think it was in early June, and then and then it happened again the next year, and I went the next year, and then I don't know if you ever had old timers. No, no. It um, it turned into they tried something called champ camp. Which okay. It was the same idea, and it, mm-hmm. it sort of streamlined. I think the the participants all trying to sort of. The problem was getting people to come back. Doing it once was fun, but getting right. people to do it over right. and over was tough. Right. Um, and then now there's the BPS Basketball League. So it's a whole men's basketball mm. league. And they do a golf component that's just golf. At get, camp? Yeah. They get um, like 120 guys come up for the weekend. Camp Ojibwa <laughs> is the only place that I know on the face of the earth where you compete on how to clean up your cabin. <laughs> I mean, when I told that to someone, they go, what are you talking about? I go... These people are totally, they're, they're compulsive about competition. Everything is competition. You play rafter ball, it's competition. If you put up your, your um, what do you call it, your, your tie for your bathrobe oh. across the beds and you play indoor tennis in your cabin, <laughs> it's competition. You don't do anything at Camp Ojibwa unless it's competition. It. So if you don't like competition, you don't go to Camp Ojibwa. <laughs> It's true. And, you know, it's softened a bit over the years. It's not what it once was. But even still, like, you brush your teeth. You're, you're competing against the guy brushing your teeth. Exactly. Like, first, you know? Exactly. So, talking about cleaning the cabin. So, you're a young camper. You go to camp. What, how old are you your first year? Uh, in 66, I turned 11 at camp. Okay. So, you're not a super young camper, but you're still right. probably left of the mess hall. So, or left of the rec hall. You're probably cabin... I was cabin six. Six. Perfect. Yeah. So what is that um, early camper experience like? What are the things that surprised you? What are the things that... Well, one of the things that I think forced me... I I mean, I learned a tremendous amount about myself at camp, but uh, being a kind of a short guy, I remember somebody saying to a Denny, uh, he should be in in Peach League. He shouldn't be in in Pineapple League because his hands are too small. And that made me play harder and harder and uh, work on my 16-inch skills. And uh, when I went back for Old Timers Reunion in 95, we were, uh, we were in a game, and we were winning 5-3, to three and it was raining. And Denny said, oh, does anybody happen to have a dry ball? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I got one in my cabin. That I, brought, that I used to practice. Mm-hmm. Well, I literally had my name on that ball when I got the perfect high inside pitch and cranked that thing over the center fielder's head <laughs> for a three-run home run, 
game over. You know, one of the guys said to me afterwards, he goes, John, he goes, when you crushed that ball, he goes, I knew we were done. So what could be, what could be better than that memory? You know, start up and someone says when you're 11 years old, I think his hands are too small. 25 years later, baby, there it is. So, yeah. So anyway, so that's, that's a, that's a, that's a good story. But, but, uh, I think that, uh, at the time it was more a question of being away from home for so long. Mm. There was no four week option. Right. There was an eight week only, uh, you know, you went and, and, uh, you know, you didn't want to wimp out and, and not, not stay at camp. And so I think the first week is probably the toughest. Once you get into activities and you start to really go, you're good. Now, um, I'm sure other people have told you, you know, Alan Sherman, they've told you that he was a camper. Know he was and, you know, Hello, Hello Mudda, mm-hmm. that's about Camp Ojibwa. <laughs> so, you know, so, I mean, then that's the story. You know, kids are playing, kids are, you know, right? You know, yeah. so... Um, I mean, and that's, that's an apt description of, you know, when there's not enough to do and you're young, you think about home. And then when there's too much to do or a lot to do, you think I'm never leaving this place, right. you know, Absolutely. A, <laughs> and I'm sure like a lot of people who are going to listen to this, um, for those of us who really loved camp, and of course you don't love every aspect of it, but you know, who really loved camp. I go back there in my mind all the time. To this day, I still have dreams about Camp Ojibwa. Sometimes I'm actually, I'm actually there as though I was a kid, either playing softball or doing something on, you know, playing some game or some other thing. And it's just, it's literally like I'm going back 50 wow. years. That's yeah, amazing. it's incredibly, incredibly vivid detail. Going back 20 or 25 years later, I couldn't believe how big the trees were. Because mm. these trees, when I was there, when I left in 71 and went back in 95, so 24 years later, these trees had now become huge trees. I'm looking in left field by, by cabin 12 going, wait a second, that was a twig. <laughs> that, was, that was literally a twig. And the thing is, you know, so that was, that was amazing. And, of course, there's always, there's always the great memories of, you know, uh, Otto, who was the pastry chef at the time, Katie, who was the uh, who was the uh, the chef at the time. Yeah. The food was unbelievable. Um, my father, may he rest in peace, used to go up there with one of my cousin's fathers, and my father was a super slow eater, which you cannot be at Camp Ojibwa. <laughs> my father would be barely getting into whatever it was in the first course, and everybody else would be done. And my father's like, well, we got to go out for lunch now. <laughs> I go, Dad, you know, if you come up to Camp Ojibwa, you have to eat at the speed of the camp. And man, it's like rapid fire. I was a, a counselor in tra- uh, potential, a potential. They used to call it potential. I don't know what they still call it. No, so. no, uh, because the, you're not doing both things. Uh, once you become a junior counselor now. Okay, so this was, this was... My last year in camp as a camper, I was called a potential. So I'm a waiter and I'm learning how to do all those things. I always tell people that they probably don't use the metal bowls anymore, but then metal bowls for the oatmeal. And you put the oatmeal down and you, by the time you get whatever else you need to get going and it goes around the table, they're already like, John, we need a refill. But wait, didn't I just put the... (laughs) <laughs> it's like feeding a bunch of wolves, totally. you know. So, but it's uh, like your first job, probably. Too, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It was uh, so. It was really uh, 
that was fun. And uh, there, there were a lot of things that, that we did that um, probably everybody did those things, but you always felt like it was the first time. Like we, we would wait until it was a rare time when they would do something on the main campus, like give out treats or something was rarely done on the on the main quad Mm. well i would intentionally lay in the grass because it was super dark and and grab some kid's ankle who was running (laughs) back to his cabin you know and completely freaked the kid out (laughs) (laughs) so there was always was always fun stuff to do and uh so, from your time, are there guys who continue to be your friends today? Or yeah, Bruce Burr, Bruce Burr, who I reconnected with here a couple years ago, uh, who who I hadn't seen in, I don't know, probably 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Marty Block, those guys were a little bit younger than me. And um, for the most part, those guys and Barry Feldman are probably the only guys that I've had regular contact with and periodic contact with some other people. And no matter, you know, when people come and they're tied into uh, Chicago or northern suburbs, I usually get into some conversation about Ojibwa and everybody has heard of the camp. Everybody either has heard of it, knows somebody that went there. The alumni from Camp Ojibwa must be some of the most dedicated people of any organization in the world. It's an incredible network. Yeah. It really is. And I've learned even more um, sort of doing this project, meeting people and meeting guys and just seeing how far it goes. I mean, we're in Phoenix. Like, it's easy for someone in Island Park to stay connected because there's so many people there. But to be out here and still have guys who are here you can connect with and, and have that sort of passing business connections along the way. Yeah, and, and I, I make a shout out to uh, Denny Rosen, who uh, I was with him at camp during his, it was, he turned 55 mm-hmm. 20 years ago. I think I'm right, 20 years ago. And uh, Denny has been a mainstay. Uh, it's just been a fabulous guy to me. And, uh, you know, I miss uh, Sandy and I miss the Schwartzes and, uh uh, you know, just uh, Elliot Friedman and, you know, there were just a lot of guys that were part of the sort of that network of people. I mean, I had lot, lots and lots of exposure over the years to the senior guys from the 60s, the, the real icons of camp. It was just, an, just a fabulous, fabulous group of people. Mike Bagan was my counselor. Uh, Mike Bagan was one of the funniest guys I ever met him. He was absolutely hysterical at camp. They were always pulling things with, with other counselors, and it was just, it was a phenomenal place to be. So, Are there I mean, any of those stories that can be told? <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> but, but, but funny nevertheless, I can tell you that uh, Scott Levenfeld was my counselor in cabin 11, and, 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 and to this day... When a door slams, I always think of Scott Levenfeld because those wood doors, the kids never close the doors without him slamming. Mm-hmm. And finally, Scotty's like, you're on back door. And people go, what? I think he coined the term. They go, well, you're on back door. I'm on back door. Yes, you're not allowed to use the front door for a week. He goes, I've asked you to stop slamming the door. You leave and you don't hold the door. And I mean, you know, you got what, 12, 14 
That's maybe true. now it's double, right? It's bunks. Yeah, now that's it's more. Yeah, now we it's even, up to 20. Yeah, so I mean, that was, I think we had 11 or whatever it was. However many beds can fit in a single. Yeah. You know, and so door open, slam, door open, slam, door open, slam. Jordan's like, hey, hey, come on, it's, it's, it's swim time. Door open, slam. I think he just finally, he, he lost it. And so I think back door was probably a characterization. <laughs> that, so whenever a door slams, I'm thinking, wait a second. You know, we need Scott Levenfeld beard. Back door. You need to be on back door. So. You talked about sports and how much you like sports. Uh, what about the other aspects of camp? Were, the other things that, were there other things that appealed to you, whether it was like waterfront, canoe trips? Uh, well, like you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the canoe trip because uh, in 1971, which is that I'm going to read from the warrior here for some of you guys that are going to be listening to this somewhere far into the future. This is my, this is, this is my overview. Me, John Elson says oh, nice. by John Elson cabin 13, three day canoe trip. <laughs> so when you get a chance to read this, what you're going to see is that we actually committed to going all the way to Rhinelander and the trip had never been made successfully in like 20 years. Wow. So we did a, a blood pact basically and said, we're going no matter, because it always rains. Not being a quote camping camp. Right. Their idea of camping was <laughs> cans of food, yeah. which are unbelievably heavy. My son and I took a knife only survival class up in Flagstaff about six or eight years ago, where we literally, you bring a knife. And you have to figure out how to survive and make your own wiki up and all this other stuff. You know, you bring a mirror, a compass, you know, bring some clothes over. And so this, that's about as far from Camp Ojibwa yeah, camping. Sure. as. So the portages with the canoes were just brutal. I mean, the, the thing is weighed down by, oh, some canned soup and canned chili and another can of this, another can of that. The heaviest stuff you could possibly imagine. And what I wrote about in here was that um, uh, we were dropped off outside of town at about 1.30 on Tuesday. After paddling 20 minutes, we realized we were not on the right course. This was due to the fact that we took no map, in parentheses, we wanted to rough it, and also that Jeff Galvin and Ken Bacon have no sense of direction. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, those guys that they're still listening, it's uh, been a long time. We gave Ken the nickname Nivia because he always put that Nivia on his nose. So the entire three days, his nose was white because he was prone to burning yeah. on his nose. So Ken, if you're out there, hello. And uh, uh, we remember that uh, Tuesday, July 27th of 1971, wow. the infamous trip in the rain. And we still made it all the way to Rhinelander, and I think we made it actually four hours early. So that was a group of guys, in case you guys are listening. Me, Perry Kaplan, David Berkey, Craig Boyer, Rich Mednick, Craig Cohn, Ron Frankel, and Ken Caden. Eight guys, all of who committed to going, and who said, no matter what, we are not going to turn back. So there's a there's a real story, yeah, you know, sure. that you know, 20 or 25 years later, that was actually a blast. And uh, you know, you came back and you're all beat up and and all this other stuff. But man, was that was that fun to be gone? And uh, and Jeff and and uh, uh, Kenny Bagan were just awesome. So we had you know, it was a fabulous time. That's awesome. Trip to Rhinelander is pretty rigorous. Yeah, it's a pretty. <laughs> 
it's a pretty long trip and uh um you know the canoes they're heavy you know you can get a lot i mean if you were doing kayaking it would be a heck of a lot faster right you know trying to paddle a heavy canoe against a current in the rain is <laughs> is exceptionally difficult ex- exceptionally difficult so anyway that was uh that was a great uh, a great trip nice. you know some some of the stuff that 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 obviously uh, great memories were um all, all the stuff that used to happen i don't know if it still does in the in the 60s uh you know super cleanup mm-hmm. and all the stuff that that would go on and, and half the time i would just sit there and laugh my head off the stuff that went on the showers the stuff that went on you know with you know, everybody knows those stories, but I just sit there and laugh my head off. And, you know, every time I think about camp, the, 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 the memories are overwhelmingly positive. You just sit there and make yourself, you just smile and you think about, man, what could you have done at that point in time in your life that it could have been more fun mm-hmm. than being with a bunch of people and having fun and competing and just growing up yeah. and, and learning about competition and winning and winning or losing and learning how to be a good loser mm-hmm. and learning how to, you know, brush yourself off and get back up and continue to, to perform and improve. And, you know, that really is an essential life skill that a lot of people don't go through. And I think the only way that you can really learn it the way that I learned it is team sports. There, there's there's a, a real dynamic that's different in team sports than it is. I was a competitive tennis player for a while. It's not the same. That's one-on-one. But when you play volleyball, when you play softball, when you play basketball, when you play soccer, when you play all of these team sports, you cannot be the whole team. Right. And you have to learn to work with other people. And even if you don't necessarily like doing it, you have to do it in order to be successful. If you want to be successful, and that's really a life lesson that you can't get in the same way in any other manner. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we definitely had guys talk about like the learning to win at camp is great, but learning to lose at camp is such an important skill. Yeah. And, and getting the basically the reps in at losing, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put that's it. Right. That's right. Just getting used to what that is and being able to go, okay, that's what we did today and now we'll do tomorrow. That's right, and and uh, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the the uh, the the uh, dramatics that the, you know the drama. I was. Uh, I was gonna say, was there but, any jubilee up here? Or yeah, there Christmas was a jubilee. Uh, I was I was involved in jubilee in I don't remember what exact year it was. It might have been nineteen seventy. Brand new tune. There's me as the master of ceremonies. Very nice. 1968 called Brand New Tune. Uh, Harris Helpert, Jeff Makovich, Jim Nachman, Rick Patter, Rob Patter, Sam Terre, Doug Meyer. Didn't you say you were were you, were you with Doug Meyer? Doug Singer. You were with Doug, Doug Singer. Singer. But I've already, I have interviewed Doug, Doug Meyer. Doug Meyer. Well, yeah. Ken Beider, Bob Schulman, Mike Nudstadt. Steve Kiefer, Steve Teitelbaum, Dave Matazar, Ken Roffey. Matazar and Roffey were two great athletes, too. Dave Matazar and Ken Roffey. 
Steve Simon, Ken Rafi, Rick Matazar, and the late Steve Good. Mm. The late Steve Good. And then, of course, uh, a lot of other guys. Uh, apparently, I was an announcer in another one. Then there was a chorus and all those things. I was in the chorus and, you know, there's Barry... Feldman, of course. Now, we don't know if this is Barry Feldman, Barry R. Feldman, or Barry oh, S. Feldman, because right, it doesn't say. <laughs> so you'll have to ask Barry <laughs> Feldman whether he was in the chorus of Brand New Tune, which yeah. is the Jubilee of 1968. There's a trivia question <laughs> for you to ask. Was that Barry R. or Barry S.? The infamous two Barry Feldman. Both Joel X, Eddie Cohn... Skippy might have even been in here. There were a lot of people. And the infamous and unknown, unknown forever, Harlan Hollander. Oh. Harlan Hollander, for those of you who are going to be listening to this sometime in the future, who are, who are part of my cabin, the two closest friends that I had in, in, 19, in cabin 12, which would have been 1969, were Harlan Hollander and Mike Rosen. Mike Rosen of the famous Rosen rye bread family. Mm -hmm. So that was Steve Rosen, Jim Rosen, and Mike Rosen. Okay, so Harlan Hollander and I did something called Cabin 12 Capers. That if that was available on cassette, stone cold hysterical. <laughs> and and a, Harlan Hollander was one of the funniest guys I ever met in my life. This guy was absolutely out of control. The stuff that came out of his mouth at socials, the stuff that came out of his mouth would make you weep. And it wasn't crass. It wasn't classless. It wasn't foul. It was stone cold hysterical. Nice. So Harlan, wherever you are, man, it's been a long, long time, but absolutely hysterical, out of control guy. And that's probably... There's probably some reference to Harlan Hollander in 69 in Cabin 12. Harlan Vociferous Hollander won the junior track meet, turned out some great Cabin 12 capers with Johnny. There you go. Really shocked the girls at Pinemere with Ben Weaver and Steve Staples. Those were two characters that he just came up with. When they asked him what his name was, he's like, my name is Ben Weaver, Black Militant. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, what? What? What did you just say? Uh, he was absolutely off the wall. Loves those after-taps conversations, a Columbia line. Harlan Vociferous Hollander. Nice. And Mike Rye Rosen. Oh, my God. He, uh, Mike, Mike Rosen, those guys were, were just beyond, beyond... So I have a 1966 Achievement Award. Yeah. Now, these days we don't do this. But, yeah, probably not. Um, what I wanted to ask you was just to explain a little bit what the process was for this. So uh, for those of you who can't see it, but we'll have some scans of these. Um, I definitely have some blank ones. Basically, it says Campo Jimbo on the top with a year. It's got the classic uh, front-facing Indian head logo in the back. A seal of Campo Jimbo on the bottom right. Uh, it says Achievement Award. There's a place for you to write in your name across the top, mm -hmm. which is the first one I've seen filled out. So I didn't oh, you can, how this is laid You can out. take it, borrow it, send it back, scan yes. it, do whatever you want. And so there's probably, what, maybe 30 things listed here. 
uh, various activities of camp. So how did you go about getting sort of? You had to have a competence in it. I think you had to. You had to have actually, in some cases, I think when you did archery, you had to certain number of you know targets or whatever it was, and and then you went around and you know you made sure that the stuff was covered. It's it's uh, I I don't recall that there was a formal process. I think that when you completed instruction or whatever in those areas they would uh, whoever the counselor was would mark it off nice. but here's the thing if you do borrow it and since mickey is still around i'd like to have the holes that i don't have filled out completed <laughs> <laughs> it's always bothered me that i've got some sure. things talk about competitive i want my achievement award from <laughs> 1966 to be completed Mickey, in case you're listening to this, John Elson is requesting that that one be completed. I'm certain that I must have passed swimming. Right. And it's not filled That's out. Right. Right and there. that, I That's mean, come on, now, man. Tumbling, that <laughs> I'm not sure we can get that. Even <laughs> That's funny. That's is that funny? It's amazing. And why, why, why I kept this stuff is beyond, I went to the trunk yesterday when I knew you were coming, and I thought, in the back of my mind, do I have any warriors left? Mm-hmm. I got four out of six, which isn't bad. And uh, the achievement awards, I thought, OMG, I cannot believe that my first year that I have anything from 1966, yeah. let alone that, because I, I wish I had the warrior from 1966. But um, the, uh, the, if I may, I have to read. It, we have time? Yeah. I have to read for you, for you cabin one. Because I was on the phone with my brother, Bob Elson, this morning, or just an hour ago. Bob Bob Elson was a counselor in Cabin One, my last year okay. at Ojibwa, and I was in Cabin Thirteen. Okay. My brother and I are three and a half years apart. It's my only sibling. Uh, Where is he at? He's in California. He's in California. Interesting. Yeah. So his nickname, here, here's what it says, Cabin One Staff. This is, for, for those of you who are listening, this is from the Warrior 1971. Cabin One Staff. Bob, in quotations, John Elson, <laughs> SC, Senior Counselor, coach of the MSU Spartans during the week, who succeeded in actually picking a team smaller than himself. My brother, as most of you would remember, is a short dude like me, also coaches... The Invincible Mustangs in Soccer B and the Rams in Peach has a famous younger brother, that would be me, who acts as the fifth staff man in the cabin. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's straight out of the 71, the 71 Warrior. And uh, apparently at the time, I was famous, if not infamous. And um, my brother was in cabin one and had uh, Doug Singer. Oh, here we go. As a second year cabin one man whose experience was invaluable to his counselors. Member of Chicago during the week looks like Pepitone in a baseball cap on the Hornets in soccer and on the league team. Doug the Vet Singer. Nice. So there you go, you just never know, right? You never know where, you know, what was the first year of people and all the stuff that just goes on. And there are a lot of people in here that you probably have either heard of or had contact with. It's unbelievable how many people are still connected to the camp. So 
Now, you mentioned Elliot earlier. Uh, yes. And, of course, Elliot still uh, is at camp every year. Yes. And I was wondering, do you have any uh, good Elliot stories, good Elliot memories? Well, I have about 10,000 Elliot, <laughs> Elliot stories, some of which can never be told. Sure. But um, in Cabin 13... In 1971, Elliot was the senior counselor with Jeff uh, Galvin was the senior counselor and uh, Steve Ricketts, who has passed away, uh, was a senior counselor. Uh, three great guys. We had uh, no junior counselors. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case. Well, there's a cabin 14 now, right? right. So there isn't even... We don't, have, we don't have junior counselors. Yeah, so, so anyway... His nickname was Elliot, 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 Elliot Friedman. Question, <laughs> what does a 25-year-old certified public accountant do at camp? 25 years old in 1971, okay? Answer, he is technical director of both the Jubilee and Eighth Week Show. He is co-coordinator of the Braves. He is head soccer official and was in charge of scoring during the week. Last but not least, Elliot is the camp buffoon. Oh, boy. This was written, apparently, by Elliot. <laughs> I'm presuming yeah. because he was the guy that, you know, he was, right. he was in charge. So, um, Elliot would, would be probably not embarrassed to tell the story, to, to have... The story told about fairly frequently having to chase one of us while we decided not to use the new shower house since cabin 13 at the time had no bathroom. Right. I'm presuming it still has no bathroom. Oh, no, it has a bathroom. Now it has it a bathroom. Not, absolutely. Cabin 13. Mm -hmm. Well, at the time it had none. Right. So if you gentlemen out there who are listening to this might use your imagination as to what someone 15, 16 years old who has to go to the bathroom might be doing off the back porch that they should have walked down the beach path to the new shower house. And invariably, Elliot would see somebody in their red pajamas or blue or whatever. Hey, what are you doing out there? What are you getting? Go back to the new shower house. Don't do that on my cabin. And that was a fairly frequent occurrence. I'm sure, I can't imagine so, like hurting cats trying to stop him. And, and he was, uh, he was awesome. And uh, I can't believe, as I'm looking back at this, you know, reading that, saying he was 25. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Uh, it's just unbelievable how many years, and that really that tells you about all the dedication of how many people were, were and are still tied to, uh, still still tied to the camp. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I like to ask about and talk about is is camp's influence. Uh, as great as camp was, as wonderful as the memories are, the influence of camp on your life didn't stop there. So now that you're a grown up, arguably. Right. Uh, <laughs> what would you say is the uh, the effect that going to camp would have on your life? You know, I think for me, more more than anything else, it was really a, an opportunity to not really think about anything, but just having a good time. There, of course, are pressure there to perform if you're if you were competitive, but I think. More than anything else, it was just an opportunity to have a good time with people that you really enjoyed being with, to learn about uh, what it's like to be on a team, 
to learn about really, you know, being a good sport. And, 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 you know, for some of that, for some of us, that was harder in some cases than, than for other people. Um, you know, you, you, you had to deal with, you know, you might have a team that you just knew was not going to be that competitive, but you still had to play every game, work hard, commit to it, practice, maximize the success individually as well as the, as well as the team. It's helped me as a manager. I own my own company now. It's helped me in terms of uh, working with clients, working with other people. My son's now in business with me, helping him to develop and, and maximizing his performance. And I, I, I think that um, camp was a place probably unlike any other. I wouldn't say it was Camelot, but I would say in some ways, <clears throat> at least in the years that I was there, it was idyllic. It was a gorgeous place. It was in an incredible setting. You had this beautiful lake that you could swim in whenever you wanted. You could do all sorts of different activities. You, you, could, you, could, you could run, you could play football, you could play frisbee, you could do all these different things. And you could always find somebody that wanted to do something. Right. And so, I mean, such a rare opportunity to do things with other people and just have a great time. But I think the life lessons of, of team development and, and, and self-improvement, I think a lot of those for me were forged at camp as I looked at other people, at, at, at athletes that were better than me and trying to learn from them. How could I improve? What could I do to be a better team member? How could I may, maybe have made a better play or worked harder on something? And I think that's, that's really stayed with me for my entire life. And um, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the time that I spent at Camp Ojibwa. I, I, it's a, like a lot of people, it's one of the most important components of my entire life. Excellent. So last but not least, I need one great camp story. Well, I don't know if this is that great a story, but it's a story that, that, I, that I remember that I just told to Barry Feldman that he, I'm not even sure he remembers this story. So, so there's a day that we're playing his team in 16-inch on the far field. And, and I can't quite recall what was going on what was going on during that particular game. But Barry was one of the best athletes that we had, and certainly at the time, one of the best 16-inch softball players that was in camp. That 16-inch was his game. And Barry had this, this, this whole thing about dipping in. He would lean in on these pitches and lean in. Well, I don't know if it was he was angry with the calls or angry with the ump or whatever it was, and, and Barry is at least to me, was never a volatile guy. Sure. I, you know, I, I, I was much more volatile than he was. But this was before the rule of, you know, uh, after two strikes, you know, foul ball, and you're, you're out, okay? That, that, rule, that rule didn't exist. So here we are on the far field, and Barry Feldman fouled off into the woods, I think, a dozen balls, <laughs> intentionally. Intentionally, I'm talking about ball after ball, and I'm watching this guy going, "Okay, what's what's actually going on here?" And I, you know, it's like I'm in the field, I'm probably playing left or center or something. I don't know. And sure. Foul ball. Okay, 
Foul ball. Okay, foul ball. And they're all going the same way. Somebody's got to go chase him. Yeah, so I'm just sure. looking at his face, and he's got like this smirk on his face. And I'm thinking, wow, you're doing this intentionally, and there's nothing that the ump could do about it. There's nothing anyone could do about it because there's no rule. Right. So I don't know if they created the rule after that game. They probably got together in all the 16-inch leagues in the world and said, that's the Barry Feldman rule. You're not allowed to do that. We're not going to have you delay the game. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. John Elson, super fun. He clearly loved camp, had a great time there, and was super excited to talk about it. You can check out his Achievement Award right there on the Camp Ojibwa History Project website. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org, or just come by the website. Check things out over there, CampOjibwaHistory.org. The Brick Project is about to open back up. We're going to be making some bricks available again. So if you are interested in getting your name forever ensconced on the grounds of Camp Ojibwa, drop me an email and find out how. I will be more than happy to walk you through that process so you can be one of the few and the proud whose name is on the Collegiate Week bench ground. All right. It is a gorgeous day at Camp Ojibwa. It's a balmy 75 degrees, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, there's an eagle in the sky, and it's time for a cigar. Cigar.